Howdy do. Hello. We are back, baby. I'm sure you're all chanting with excitement at this very moment. Oh, of course. They most definitely did not forget about us completely. They, they're probably performing a picket-themed interpretive dance right now. Oh, for sure. Well, you know, we, we, we sure missed you folks while we were getting these episodes set up. It's been great to hear the response to our podcast and all the people who are who are cheering us on. The one or two. You have two support? Oh. Oh. <laughs> but this way has not been in vain. Expect to receive new episodes every other week once again. Let's start with a mediocre segment, which I must say I have missed just just a little bit. <laughs> well, I'd hope so. Does this mean you'll finally stop trying to cut it from the scripts last minute? Oh, no, of course not. Uh, it's probably just some sort of, what do you call it, uh, Stockholm Syndrome. Can you say that? So what town is it today? Okay. I've decided to go with Scratch Ankle. A what now? Yeah, I was confused at first, too. It's an unincorporated community in Alabama. For obvious reasons, the small town's name has earned it relative notoriety as a local television studio, but it, if you roll up your pants and sit out in the afternoon, you'll call it Scratch Ankle, too. It uh, must be pretty hot there, I guess. <laughs> of course, it, it's pretty far down south, and so the climate is characteristic of the region. And, and you know, it's that same situation that accounts for the historically vast mosquito populations, which plague the town, as most are unfortunately aware these insects have a propensity for targeting the ankle, uh, hence the unusual name. Ah, oh, makes sense. So, uh, what's the weather looking like over there? Thank you very much for asking. Scratch Ankle, look out for a lot of rain. Highs are going to be varying around the the 90s, high 80s, and the lows are, are going to be mostly in the, the low 70s. Um, mid-70s, but a lot of rain coming up over the next week. With that nonsense aside, we can get into the real topic for today. Uh, As some of you may know, there's just a little bitty global pandemic going around. Just a a small one. Yeah. And nothing too bad. And I mean, some, (laughs) some of you may have heard of it. Some some people may have. I know, I hadn't. Uh, but uh, a few months ago, we did an episode with a county supervisor in the uh, central coast of California, Supervisor Adams. At the time, reopening hadn't truly begun in the state. It was fascinating to hear the, the thoughts of an official working very specifically with one community, coping with the novel and baffling effects of a dramatically altered way of life. So this June, we sat down with an extraordinary individual operating alongside the uh, governor of California, uh, Gavin Newsom, and uh, leading a task force of his state's uh, best and brightest to navigate their way out of the depths of this pandemic and into a brighter tomorrow. He's a devoted activist for social equality and environmental justice, a former candidate for the Democratic nomination in 2020, and now chairman for the California governor's business and jobs recovery task force in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's our conversation with Tom Steyer. Please call me Tom. As a Californian, you should realize we did away with last names somewhere around 1990. So not as polite as Texans. We asked him to uh, just explain a little bit about exactly 
what his positions are with the state of California right now. So I am co-chairing the Jobs and Business Recovery Task Force and advising and the advisor to the gov- to Governor Gavin Newsom about how to reopen California business as fast as is safely possible. And our task force, which is a very broad group of people from across California, from a variety of backgrounds, is tasked with not just giving the governor advice on how fast to safely reopen, also to make sure that we do it in a way that reflects the need to be an equitable and just state and to be a state that is resilient and sustainable. So we're not trying to go back to January 2020. We've had, we're in the middle of a health crisis. We're in the middle of an econ, you know, a sharp economic slowdown. And we understand that. But as we rebuild, we're really trying to get to a better place that reflects and re, you know, has policies that address the structural injustice, racial, economic, environmental that exist in our society and also build us towards preserving a planet in a sustainable fashion for, you know, the people of California and the United States. Coronavirus has seen greatly varied response. And I don't mean that in the positive way per se, because it's been for better and for worse. Um, Certain states worked really hard to get coronavirus cases down um, and were aggressive from the get-go and have been slow to reopen. And it, it appears that those states have done fairly well in keeping the curve of cases flat. And we've also seen states that were very quick to reopen, um, states that rushed to get that done. We were curious exactly where California is on this, this spectrum of reopening. Well, one thing, and I'm not sure how much you guys know specifically about California, But California shut down first. Governor Newsom was shut us down first, which I think people now realize was a very smart and good decisive action. And in addition, he has reopened us and we're in the midst of reopening, as you know, Jake. And it's both has strict protocols. So if you're going to reopen a restaurant, there are rules about um, social distancing. There are rules about masking and cleaning, a a lot of different protocols to make sure that working people are protected in their jobs and their customers are protected as well. And in addition, it's phased so that the safest, the essential businesses were never closed, but we're reopening based on the safety of reopening the different businesses. So for instance, curbside dining is opening before dining, you know, uh, inside dining. And curbside pickup for retail stores is opening before shop, you know, shopping inside the store. It's phased. And there are four phases. And last Friday, phase three started. So that's kind of where we are. You know, we're in the process of moving through. We haven't yet reopened, for instance, theme parks. We haven't reopened the big baseball stadiums. But, you know, we are doing curbside dining. And in addition, and this is a... Another, there, so there are protocols about what, how you're allowed to operate in uh, you know, businesses. And there's phasing through the different kinds of businesses. And in, in addition, as I know Jake knows, there are 58 counties in California and 40 million people. So there's going to be geographic differences between, say, 
a county at, in the northernmost part of California and Los Angeles County. And so they may be in very different health situations. What Governor Newsom has said is, we're gonna put health first and we're gonna open as fast as possible, keeping health first. And it may be different. So different counties may slow it down more than the governor permits because of specific health issues. That's how it's working. Certain states are seeing a definite rise in infection as people begin to leave their houses, as states begin to reopen their economies, as companies begin to draw back their employees to the workplace. And for months, this nation's leaders and the leaders of the states have been trying to weigh two very difficult options. Whether we're going to reopen the economy quickly and risk humans' lives, or if we're going to stay closed for a very long period of time and place economic stability in, in jeopardy moving forward. We asked him about the thought process in California and whether or not it has to be a, a binary decision. How are they trying to ensure that the economy can stay as functional as possible and that people stay safe? Well, I think there is a tension for sure between the need to keep people safe and business people and working people's desire to have jobs and to do business. And what Governor Newsom has said, which I, I think if you examine the record from other times is true, is the most robust recovery will come when people are kept safe, when people aren't scared to go to work, when people aren't scared to shop, when in fact you protect the lives and health of people. That's what actually in the long term builds the most robust recovery. So I think there is a tension there because people are anxious to get, you know, not everybody, but lots of people are anxious to get back to work. And lots of people who run businesses are very anxious to reopen and make sure that their businesses exist. So it, that's true. But I think what the protocols and the phasing are designed to do is to protect health as we reopen. And so that's what's going on. You know, that's why the task force is advised, you know, if you're going to open a retail store, it's helpful to get advice from someone who runs 10,000 of them. You know, if you're going to re reopen restaurants, it's helpful to know, to speak to somebody who runs dozens of them, to understand how to protect working people, how to protect their customers, and what's practical. You know, can that really, you know, does that proposal make any sense in the real world? So, you know, yes, there are competing interests here, but I think the governor's done a very good job of, you know, keeping them both in mind with health number one the distinct ideologies of the Republican and Democratic parties have long shaped American politics and American government. And right now, to a huge degree, we're seeing an impact on daily life, uh, depending on whether or not uh, one has a Republican state government or a Democratic state government. We're seeing this dynamic where, for the most part, Republicans are in favor of a rapid reopening, and for the most part, Democrats are in favor of a slower-paced reopening. According to Mr. Steyer, California hasn't seen much conflict over the issue of reopening based on party lines. You know, the, the very heartening thing that we've seen in our task force and in California has been a willingness of everybody to put aside partisanship in this crisis. And, you know, our task force includes four former governors, two of them Democrats, two of them Republicans. It includes the Democratic and Republican leadership in the state Senate and the state legislature, 
It includes 15 leaders of unions, along with the head of the California Chamber of Commerce. And they really have worked together, putting aside their differences just to try and protect lives and protect livelihoods of people in California. I was literally just on a Zoom call within an hour with the heads of two large unions and the head of the California Chamber of Commerce talking together about together what can we do to foster job growth, job creation, employment in the state of California. Very cooperatively. And, you know, it's kind of what you would hope. You guys are slightly younger than I am. But as Americans, that's what you want people to do in a crisis, is put aside whatever their personal interests are and just do whatever they think's right. doesn't mean you're going to agree on everything, but it means for sure you're just trying to do what's right and that you can trust the other person's doing the same. California seems to be taking coronavirus and instead of doing damage control, which of course they are doing, but they're also they're, they're, they're building on top of the pre-existing California economy. They're trying to use this as an opportunity to really revolutionize their state, revolutionize their economy and their society, trying to make it more just and more equal. And these are big plans that that Tom Steyer's that Tom Steyer has been speaking about over the past over the past months. So we were wondering, timing aside, how California's plan differed in policy, and 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 how he could describe that from those of other states and the principles upon which they were hoping to found this reemergence. Well, I, I think first of all we did shut down earlier. You know, if you look at the re- the health record, and I'm going to knock on wood here. So far, California has done well. The leadership has done well in, in terms of health and safety and lives. Um, the state has done really well, even though it started in a, in a tough position because you know, along with a bunch of other states. Second of all, we we you know our protocols have been very strict and um you know we spent the governor spent an awful lot of time and the task force spent a lot of time trying to get them right and the phasing has been very deliberate you know is that different i think honestly you can see that we're doing it with more emphasis on protocols with more emphasis on phasing because it's going to be interactive um lorenzo you know we know we're going to the governor's watching the health statistics by county and more, much more closely than that to make sure that we're protecting lives. But also, that he knows that people have to get back to work. You know, unemployment insurance is expected to run out on a federal level at, at some point, you know, in the near future. And that means people aren't going to be protected at that level at all. So it's really important that we, you know, when I said there's a tension between protecting lives, that's an absolute need and getting people back to work, we know that has to happen. And so how is it different? I think we've been, I think Governor Newsom's been ahead of the game in terms of shutting down. And I think he's been ahead of the game in terms of having very strict rules so that as we reopen, people are protected. And as we reopen, therefore, people can have more confidence that they'll be safe going out. You know, it's going to be interactive. There's going to be some bumps in the road for sure. I don't know what they're going to be. But a crisis demands leadership. If, if there's no crisis, if nothing's going on, then nobody has to make any decisions. It's kind of, let's do what we did last year. In this case, there is no last year to compare this to. So leadership really matters. 
we asked him to to keep going to explain a little more about the the basic principles because he he's spoken about these a lot and he he has some very fundamental ideals that they're they're going to be rolling out in tandem with California's economic recovery the big objectives still are to make sure that we get back to a low level of employment that the jobs are well paid that we address racial structural racial injustice directly that as we rebuild california's probably got the most progressive energy laws and energy infrastructure in, in the world but that doesn't mean we're where we want to be we have to make sure that as we rebuild that we do it in that we hasten you know the move to sustainability so that that's kind of the goals and that was your question but i mean then how do you specifically do that and i'll give you an example Lorenzo, which is, you know, we're trying really hard. The state has been trying for a long time. And the governor talked about it in January before the coronavirus was widely known about. Bridging the digital divide, making sure that every family in California is hooked up to high-speed internet. So, but, okay, that existed before. The government was working on it. It was working on it intelligently, effectively. But people aren't going to go back to school in September or August of 2020 in the way they went back to school in August or September of 2019. There's gonna, with a high degree of likelihood, be an online component, which means if you're not hooked up to high-speed internet, how are you gonna do your homework? How are you gonna participate fully in education? That's a justice issue. The other thing that's turned out to be true, which definitely surprised me and I didn't know until I started talking to people who ran big healthcare businesses, is that 80 percent i was talking to someone who runs a big healthcare chain in california 80 percent of the doctor's um appointments now are done virtually and someone else who runs 80 percent someone else who runs a big healthcare chain was telling me that the number of virtual visits pre-covid was 500 a day and now it's like i can't if i think it's 5,000, it's 10 times more Ten times more. You know, I talked to somebody about an online business that is up 500% since March. So things are really changing. But I was, I was talking about the digital divide. If you can't go to the doctor and you can't go to school, that's unjust. You know, how's that fair? Bridging the digital divide is a productivity issue for sure to make people more productive. It's also a justice issue because it's so highly connected with race and economic income. And so it's critical for us to make sure as a task force that we be part of the solution to that and to bring an urgency to it because you know it's just not fair and it has to get solved. The day before the interview took place, I believe it was June 15th, the Governor's Business and Jobs Recovery Task Force, which Tom Steyer co-chairs, issued an open letter discussing its vision for an equitable reopening process. So we asked him to tell us a little bit more about how he and the task force were going to be working to create an economy and a society post-reemergence that would uphold standards of, of racial equality alongside creating a greener California. And we asked him about the opportunity for intersectionality here. Well, Lorenzo, they've always been connected. You know, the first 
public campaign that I ran on climate was in was 10 years ago and it was a proposition in California and at the heart of it was environmental justice because what people can relate to in the short term is air that gives their kids asthma water that makes them sick or die and those are overwhelmingly located in black and brown communities around the country and specifically in California and redressing those if you start there you'll get climate right if you start with those communities you'll have the moral justice on your side and so 10 years ago if you'd said to me tom you know how do you put these two together i'd say they you don't have to put them together they're together you have to start you know when i was running for president i had a climate plan and it was called a justice based climate plan because it started in those communities rooted in the injustice of placing toxic plants and toxic activities in low-income black and brown communities you think flint michigan but you know it's all over the country and you know in california i think i worked with local activists down in oxnard california to prevent what i hope is the last fossil fuel plant that's ever proposed in california and it was going into a low-income latino community on the coast that already had a ton of toxic chemical plants in the neighborhood so they felt like what's one more the answer is how could that be right i mean if you look at the california coast jake lives on the california coast it's pretty much beautiful from oregon to mexico it, it really is why would you put a fossil fuel plant right on the california coast which is where Monterey is, which is where LA is, which is where Santa Barbara is, where San Diego is, where California is. Why would you do that? You know, you, it, it doesn't make any sense, except they could. And it turned out that if we pushed back, starting, you know, supporting local activists from the community, we were able to stop that plant, even though it had, you know, basically been permitted. Tom Steyer has had a long career in business, and he's had a very successful career in politics as well. And it seems like an ongoing thread with him um, that he fights for the little guy. He fights for everyday Americans, um, people who come from under-resourced communities. These are sects of the population that have been hit particularly hard by the coronavirus pandemic. People are losing their jobs. Mom-and-pop establishments are going under at alarming rates. The California government has taken this uh, vital trend into consideration. They are more at risk. You're absolutely right, Lorenzo. And they've always been more at risk. One of the things, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to give you a preamble. I'm warning you. <laughs> One of the things you may not know is that Cat Taylor and I started a, com a nonprofit community bank 15 years ago on this exact premise that we were basically going to lend money where big, cor big corporate banks wouldn't which is for economic justice, environmental sustainability, and to support businesses owned by women and people of color. We did that 15 years ago because we felt that there was discrimination in the way that banks lent money around the country and that people were being unfairly picked on. That bank has grown from zero dollars to well over a billion dollars. It did an enormous amount of PPP, which was the government program to deliver dollars to those very small businesses 
you're talking about. We saved tens of thousands of jobs in that effort, specifically going to very small companies and giving them the money to stay afloat. So the first thing I'd say is it is critically important that they get the, you know, the banking support to stay in business. The second thing you know is you know we're planning as a state to, for the government to be try to run campaigns to try and make sure we're supporting small businesses that people understand how important it is for them to give the, you know not just to go to big chains but to support their local businesses because other, otherwise they can't survive and that hurts the whole community in multiple ways. So, but to me the big big question here is make you know there are other things where the government is working to get, make available personal protective equipment. If you're, you know, the gap and you run tens of thousands of stores, you, can, you are in a position where you can afford to get your own PP, personal protective equipment. You know where to get it, you're sophisticated, you're multinational, you know, you have that kind of access. If you're running a, you know, if you and your partner are running a, gym a, a, a judo facility in san antonio you may not know exactly where to get that kind of equipment you may not know how to get it cheaply you, you know all these things the government can help you with that so there are a lot of things the government can do to try to support specifically small businesses because as you said they're the most vulnerable and the task force is focused specifically on small business and we have a number of initiatives specifically to try to make sure that they get economic support and that we push, we remind their fellow citizens to support them in their hour of need. Our country has been through a lot this year. Some of it has shaped us in a positive way and some in a negative way. Coronavirus has been devastating, but we've also seen protests to bring about necessary and remarkable social change, uh, racial equality, and justice. We wanted to know what message Tom Steyer had for our country, for our people, coming out of a very fraught and unique time in our history. Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's impossible to talk about these times without talking about the murder of George Floyd and really the exposure of structural racism across our country. And it's not like that didn't exist before. I mean, I spoke explicitly about race every single day I was running for president. I spoke specifically about the need for reparations for slavery every day, including to all white audience, audiences who, who looked at me like, why are you telling us this? But it, that murder exposed something that existed for hundreds of years before that day in Minneapolis. And so, I hope that this experience is going to actually remind us of how much we share together and that we're only solving our problems together. You know, we're in a very divided America. It, you know, we, it's, you can show it statistically in a number of ways, but this is a very emotional time where, honestly, we've broken down on partisan levels that you know hasn't been seen for what would you say 155 years and i think the lesson of covid has got to be 
that in order to surmount our problems, we have to do it together and trust each other and be decent to each other. And that dealing with structural racism is incredibly important for African-Americans. It's also incredibly important for everybody who's not an African-American because that is a festering wound at the heart of our country that affects everyone. It, it, it disproportionately affects African-Americans, but it's something that everybody else, we can't move on together as a country until we deal with that, you know, directly. And so that's, my message on this is, let's not go back to January of 2020. That's what I said before. We can do so much better. We can, you know, we have to do so much better. We can't go back to where we were in January 2020 and be on a sustainable path. We have to make a change. And we have to decide to make that change together as a people. And we're, at a, you know, we're in a crisis. We're in multiple crises, health, economic, racial, political. We have to take those crises and resolve to, to, to come together and solve them together and create a more perfect union, as the saying goes, and to be our better angels. And we don't really have a choice. That is the only thing we can do. And so that's what I spend my time trying to do, is that to me is, and let me make the last pitch, which is this. I mean, as I said, you guys are slightly younger than I am. It is your generation that will make this happen. It is your generation who I think believes in all of the things that I believe in. And very consistently, you know, we, I started the largest youth voter mobilization effort in American history, Next Gen America. And we see consistently the same values of young people across this country, everywhere. And so to me, the question is, if, you're, if the young people, if the under 30, the under 35-year-old Americans show up, we'll transform this country everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And we will do what I'm talking about, which is go back to, the, you know, to a much different sense about trying to accomplish things together, much less partisan, much more values-driven. And, you know, that's, that's where I think we're going. That's where I'm working every day to try and be part of the army to push us towards that. I don't think we have a choice. I think we have to do that. And I think we will do it. Jake and Lorenzo, it is a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to do this interview, honestly. Thank you. Thanks to Tom, of course, for coming on the show. And as always, thank you, our listeners, so much for your continued support and for listening to Pickett. If you'd like to stay up to date on the latest developments here at Pickett, you can find us on Instagram at tw- and Twitter at Pickett Podcast, no space. And if you would like to contact us with any questions or comments, you can visit our website at https colon forward slash forward slash www period p-i-c-k-e-t-p-o-d-c-a-s-t period c-o-m forward slash. I'll repeat it three times in case you didn't get it the first time. Uh, oh, no, 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 you don't have to that's get it. Uh, H-T- for, for normal For normal people, that's uh, picketpodcast.com. 
So I'm going to cut you off there and uh, we'll see you next time on the picket fence with us. <laughs>